Booster is excited to support DIA Schools Collaborative on furthering the missions of our respective organizations through Follow to Lead podcast and other DIA programming. Visit ChooseBooster.com for details on Booster's school fundraising events, technology, and customized spirit gear. Booster can help your Catholic school meet and exceed its fundraising goals. Learn more today. Welcome to Follow to Lead, where we discover how to listen for and follow God's call so that we might lead others to God. Our shared stories of inspiration from religious leaders and those active in the educational ministry of the church can help you know better how God is calling you and the role passionate Catholic education plays in spreading His message of faith, hope, and love. Now please welcome the hosts of Follow to Lead, Father Randy Sly and Kyle Pietrantonio. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ the teacher, teach us to listen. Teach us to do the deep listening to the sounds of our soul, waiting to hear your voice calling us to cast out deeper, to become fishers of men and women, shepherds of souls, to follow your will in order to lead others to the truth, beauty, and goodness only you can offer. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Sure. Welcome uh, to Follow to Lead, a journey twice a month into the world of Catholic education, exploring what it means to follow God in order to lead others to him. I'm Kyle Pietrantonio, your co-host. And I'm Father Randy Sly. And uh, today we're going to be talking with Chris Carneal, the founder and CEO, along with Stephen Murray, the president and COO of Booster. And we're all aware that fundraising in elementary schools is never fun and actually a lot of work for staff, faculty, and students alike. And Booster, a partner with the Duke and Altum Schools Collaborative, is changing the ideas in schools across the country of what fundraising is all about. They're combining uh, the magic of big events with also values of life lessons, giving students a week of fun they will always remember. And uh, in the past 20 years, Booster has grown nationwide to serve more than 3,000 school partners a year with 700 plus team members who have all helped profit schools more than $270 million to improve education. Now, Chris Carneal grew up as the son of an educator, so this is a world that he was used to, and first had the idea of a Boosterthon fun run as a college student at Stanford University. He currently sits on a, a number of school advisory boards, has won Atlanta's prestigious 40 Under 40 Award, and earned also the President's Council Award on Sports, Fitness, and Nutrition in 2016. He and his wife, Lindy, live in Atlanta, Georgia, with their four children. And Stephen Murray joined the Boosters within its first decade. And since then, Stephen has led and influenced every aspect of the organization. He's played executive roles in HR, sales, operations, which made him the perfect candidate for the president of Booster. As an active member in the greater Atlanta community, Stephen serves on the board of his children's school, his local YMCA, as well as an advisor to nonprofits that support social good entrepreneurs. A self-admitted fitness junkie, Stephen is an accomplished athlete competing in marathons, an ultramarathon, and an Ironman triathlon, none of which he will be asked to do during the program today. <laughs> and uh, he and his wife, Brittany, also live in Atlanta with their three children. So Chris and Stephen, welcome to Follow to Lead. Thank you for having us, yeah. Father Randy. What an introduction. Yeah. Wow. If you change careers, we have a sales opening. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we love this idea. Uh, well, 
Chris and Stephen, we're so glad to have you on the program uh, and to be with us today. Uh, while our main reason is to talk about how Booster is serving schools across our country, we always like to have uh, each of our guests share a bit about themselves and their background. So, Chris, if we could start with you and tell us a bit about your own upbringing. Sure. Well, Father Randy said that my mom, I'm a son of an educator. My mom taught for 35 years at a Catholic school in South Florida University, Barry University. Oh, okay. Uh, right outside of Miami. And um, she was a college professor teaching elementary teachers, getting their master's in reading. So I grew up in an educator's home, a reader's home. My parents were both people of faith, and that was incredibly important to, to my, uh, my upbringing. Even more now, when I look back, I just see what the influence that the gospel had on my life and gracious, loving, kind parents and a Christian community around me, just even their friends and friends of friends, just having a community of people that were encouraging me uh, towards love and good deeds. Basically, I didn't know those were the words at the time, but when, looking back, I, I see the Lord's provision. Got to play baseball in high school and in college at Sanford and Birmingham. So sports was always important, but my dad was my coach all the way through high school. And uh, he always connected the dots that sports is about life uh, and what the, the lessons learned through competition and teamwork and struggles and challenges uh, applies to, to life. And so uh, here we are now, 20 years to the month after starting Booster back in college. Uh, we've been through some ups and downs the last couple of years, but the adventure of running a company uh, and growing an organization, whatever the organization is, school, for-profit, non-profit, uh, it's an adventure that I feel God's called leaders to. Uh, so those that are listening to this, I just want to say a word of encouragement. It's been a challenging couple of years, but what you're doing is, is not in vain. Impacting people is not for the faint of heart. Uh, but it's a calling and the Lord always promises to equip us and give us the uh, lamp into our feet, just one step ahead to illuminate, you know, what the next step of faith is. So I've been very blessed by my family, my, my faith community, my friends, Stephen and my team to be able to inspire students, raise the only number that was uh, not correct in that intro. We're almost to a half a billion dollars. We're about wow. three oh, wow. weeks away from raising schools over the past 20 years. Uh, $500 million. That's school profit. And again, wow. growing up in the educator's home, seeing that money raised, seeing how it links to salaries and new hires and, uh, and opportunities and technology and things that fund uh, students' education. And man, students need uh, educational resources now more than ever. So honored to have played a small part in that process. Thank you, Chris. And Stephen, what about you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some similarities in story and upbringing. Um, I grew up, actually, first half of my childhood was in Pennsylvania. My father is a pastor. Uh, my mom served in the church. Uh, I'm one of four boys. Um, so as you can imagine, that was uh, in a rural town of Pennsylvania. We had a lot of fun adventuring all across uh, town and in the woods and um, got to see how my parents served the church community, got to partake in that, moved to Atlanta for the second half of my childhood. And yeah, I mean, a lot of similarities of just as Chris shared, an amazing family, got to see what it, what it looked like to have, you know, two parents just modeling, you know, what it means to serve the Lord and be faithful in their vocation. And uh, so for me, getting to experience that, I actually um, grew up when I graduated, wanted to go into the military. I had an older brother that went into the military, mm -hmm. wanted to serve and felt like that was my path or my purpose. And through, I'll spare you all the details, but through some injuries to my knee 
Um, the Lord closed that door and uh, long story short, found Booster as a kind of a transition season for me. It was 2008. It was the height of the recession. Um, and I was just looking for, for work after finishing school and um, knew the military wasn't for me, but ended up finding purpose in what we were doing. It didn't take me long to realize what Chris's vision was for the organization, the impact that we were having on educators, on, on the next generation of students. And um, yeah, so the rest is history. That was that will be 15 years when I found Booster, uh, not this summer, but the following summer. So wow. easy for me to keep up because that that summer was also the summer I got married to my now wife and mother of our three kids. And so easy for me to remember two big anniversaries in my life of uh, marriage and Booster. That's great, Stephen. Thank you. Chris, you're at Samford University, you're playing baseball, and you're thinking about what's post-college uh, going to gonna be like uh, for yourself. Meanwhile, Booster, the genesis of Booster, the seed of this idea comes to you. Share a bit about the genesis of, of Booster at that time. Yeah, well, I was on the baseball team. What I was really doing besides playing was washing the team's laundry every night till about 2 a.m. I was the red-shirted uh, freshman, and I said, I'll do whatever it takes. So that was a good, humbling, grit, character-building experience. Played for another year and then realized, okay, I'm not a superstar. I enjoyed it. What a great sport. I was good enough to play in college, but not to go beyond college. Fell in love with my wife and friends. I was a religion major at Sanford University, and I felt a calling on my life. At the time, the words I would have used then, which I would uh, change a little bit now, was I felt a calling to ministry. And at the time, I thought I had this choice to make, which was nonprofit or for profit. Mm -hmm. And so when I stopped playing baseball, I started doing baseball lessons for kids. And it was a business and it was a, just a college gig, but man, it took off and God blessed it. And I, there was about 300 kids that me and about seven or eight of my college teammates would do lessons for every day. And so growing that business was incredible. I got to teach character lessons. I realized quickly these eight-year-olds looked up to me as a 22-year-old. So I had a platform to make a difference in their lives and teach character. Sure. And, uh, and I really enjoyed it. So that kind of began the, wait a minute, what is ministry? What is business? What is a calling? And as a believer and a person of faith, I feel like we're all called into ministry, regardless of our employer's tax status or uh, vocation. You know, how can we glorify God in all that we do? Business, education, church work. But I still, after I, after I graduated 20 years ago, my wife and I got married. I moved to go to seminary in Kentucky. And my thought is that I would move back home to South Florida and I'd plant a church. I love the idea of, again, community and church. And I thought using some gifts of communication and leadership and vision casting that planting a church would be what I would do. But uh, back in college, 20 years ago this month, we did our first ever fun run. And the origin of that is exciting and interesting and probably for, for a later date. But I basically, one of the kids that I tutored wanted to do a school fundraiser and sell some product. And I thought, I remember doing a fun run as a kid, but my dad organized a fun run with, at our school. So he encouraged me just to try it. So I went all over the country, uh, the Southeast at least, and asked schools, would you take a chance on this college kid with an idea hosting a fun run? And I was 0 for 49 until the 50th school <laughs> said, let's just try it. But you need to guarantee us uh, that we're going to profit. So I guaranteed my honeymoon money that was coming up in a couple wow. months. I thought there's got to be that moment that the entrepreneur goes all in. This is mine. He gave me the opportunity. I'll, I'll give him, I'll take the risk. Uh, the school, the program went incredibly well, uh, not because of my experience, but God blessed it. 
that, that was when the idea was born. Awesome. Then the next few years I spent in seminary, still chasing that idea as a part-time job. Uh, and then really God bringing together that you can do ministry in any context, if it's for God's glory and for the good of others. Now, how does booster work? Like what, what are we, are we talking just about organizing a fun run and just having a day or what, what sure. is booster all about? I'll give a quick of what people know of and Stephen, you could talk about all the new varieties of the, of the program. Now I just came 45 minutes ago from a public elementary school right next to my house. It was an outdoor fun run. We've served them every year for the past 14 years. Uh, when it rains, we've done it indoor. I think we did a glow run. We're talking about some new options in the future. But what most people know of uh, our program, or at least historically, is an outdoor fitness fun run for 30 minutes. Arches and wind feathers, music playing, dance a lap, jump a lap. I just left fly a lap and the kids were airplanes flying. It's K through five at a school like that. The school's having their best year ever. The school's going to profit about $60,000. Our value proposition is let's make it not feel like a fundraiser. Let's make it fun for all students, even if they don't participate financially. Everyone's part of the fun run. Uh, we want it to be fun for faculty and staff. We also want to take the workload off of teachers. So there's, very, there's various service levels. This particular mm -hmm. service level, the school said, do it all for us. We're going to focus on education and make it fun. So that's, that's what people generally see. But we have a whole lot more varieties of the program where we can customize it for each school. Yeah, yeah, I'll add, uh, Dr. Randy, you said at the beginning, fundraising is hard. It's a lot of work and people typically don't enjoy doing it. And so I think that was the opportunity Chris saw at the, the origin of a booster was, wait, there's got to be a better way to fundraise. There's got to be a way that really engages the whole community. And so, yeah, really, I mean, every school in America does some form of fundraising. And so what we do is we look at those campaigns that different schools run and how they um, ultimately do that. And we say, hey, we can support you in a variety of ways. That's everywhere up to what Chris just said of we do all the work for you all the way down to, you know, we have a, a technology team of 26 people here in our home office in Alpharetta. And so we have this really powerful technology platform that helps aggregate donations. And we put that in the hands of schools that they just want our platform and they have enough volunteers to do it on their own. Um, but the bottom line is, educators, volunteers, they don't want to be spending their time going out and fundraising. They want to do what they're the best in the world at, which mm -hmm. is educating the next generation and serving the next generation. We want to come in and do what we can, we believe we're the best at, which is helping them think through all the details and executing all the details that they want us to of actually managing that campaign. So fitness oriented, community oriented, and then all the way down to our, we believe our technology platform, if that's all our client needs and they can go do the rest. We, we believe that's really powerful. And we're seeing a lot of growth with that as well. Boosters evolved a lot in the last two decades. I had a chance a couple <clears throat> of months back to uh, visit the incredible Spiritware platform that you all launched, uh, which I think you all very wisely during the shutdown of the pandemic, you know, devoted resource uh, to because as someone who's led a school spirit where we're always needing that and it's a very challenged uh, industry uh, for our schools. Share a bit about the evolution of Booster beyond the Booster-thon and what you all are, are doing today. Yeah, so the Spiritware story is actually, it's funny and fascinating. We were sitting in a meeting with our rep from our t-shirt supplier back before we were actually selling and promoting Spiritware as a service. We needed 
t-shirts in order to run our program. And that was all included. And uh, our sales rep made a comment that we were like the second largest purchaser of youth size t-shirts in America. And we were like, oh, wait a second. Wow. A, that's a bad sales move because that just gave us a lot of negotiation. <laughs> B, we realized, wait, we have this, uh, a lot of volume and uh, we're, we're packaging this in. But like you said, uh, Kyle, there, there's this huge need for custom, um, you know, on time. Most schools just find a local mom and pop. And we were like, hey, what if we could add more value and kind of put our stamp of excellence on spirit wear, gear, promotional items. And so that that really was an organic, you know, as much as I wish, I'm an operations kind of strategic planner, as much as I wish it was like, we mapped this out on a 10-year plan that we wanted to uh, develop a, a spirit wear brand and provider. It was one of those things that we just, we were just listening. Uh, what, what are the needs of our, our customers? What are some opportunities we have where we can have an impact and meet those needs? And spirit wear was the first. I mentioned technology. That's been another evolution of a lot of schools that have plenty of volunteers and uh, they they're saying, Hey, we don't need you to come on campus to do all the work. And so we've tiered and designed different service levels. Um, we say service levels, just varieties of options, whether we do all the work or the school does most of the work. Mm-hmm. And so we're just constantly, you know, we've built a culture and it's why we align so well with, with your organization yeah. is, built a culture of just innovation and um, Mm -hmm. never settling for status quo. Can we push ourselves to be client centric where, you know, a lot of organizations view themselves inside out. They think about themselves first and then it's out to the customer. We've tried to preach having a culture that is outside in, that it's all about our customer. And it doesn't matter what we've done in the past. What do we need to do to kind of skate where the puck's going to be with our customers and with our clients and our school partners. And so that, that really, you know, who are we going to be 10 years from now? We don't even know, but we do know if we have that at the center of yep. how we run our organization, we think we're going to always find ways to add new value to our clientele. Now, now I saw on your website too, Booster Tech. Is that another uh, division or another option that you have for for them? Yeah. So we, we essentially have three categories of options for our clients. We have um, and you mentioned Boosterthon. That's Chris, the origin of Booster, which is really our flagship Boosterthon, or we're starting to call that now Booster Events because we don't just do fun runs; we do danceathons, um, other to obstacle glow runs, runs, glow runs. runs. Yep. So we have events, we have Booster Spiritwear, and then third, which you just mentioned, Dr. Randy, is uh, Booster Tech, and that's just our tech platform. And if a school wants to run their own campaign without our help, but needs a way to process payments, to send emails out to potential donors, to um, all those features that we have on our tech platform, because you know, nobody really, very few schools and very few donations are made cash and check like they used to be when Chris started, and so mm-hmm. we, we've invested a ton in our booster tech platform. Chris and Stephen, having you know gotten to know your organization, participated in a Boosterthon event uh, at Holy Spirit Prep when I was there, attended a, one of your summer pep rally events, and been around a number of your teammates, you all have hired extremely well. And I think part of your growth over the last 20 years is you have inculcated a philosophy around the type of men and women you want to bring to your organization. This is something that our organization, DIA, spent a lot of time working with our schools on, the who question. It's the most critical question uh, a successful organization asks. 
Can you share a bit about your approach to hiring and, and finding the right teammates you want to bring to Booster? Yeah, I'll, I'll just start with big picture culture. Steven ran our HR people talent department for years, so I'll let him speak to some specifics. But you're exactly right. I'm going to double down on everything you said. In fact, right outside in our office here in the kitchen, we have a Peter Drucker quote that's uh, the most visible thing in our office. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. That doesn't mean strategy is not important, but if things fail, it's usually because we got the who question wrong. And if we get the who question right, usually they can fail forward and figure things out with humility and wisdom. So as CEO founder, I spend the majority of my time of all the things I think about or do or strategize about what is our culture and how can it improve? I mean, I'm constantly thinking culture. So no detail is too small. Maybe what, what is the gift that we give a team member at an event? I mean, I want to think through it. Does it connect to the story we're telling? I think people want to be part of a story bigger than themselves. Yep. I think that's uh, part of whether they're people of faith or not. As people of faith that are talking right now, like we're drawn to there is a story bigger. And we don't uh, communicate to every client or every team member what the story we believe. But I think deep in the heart of humans, regardless of a faith perspective, they know that there is something else going on in the world bigger. And man, we feel so much more joy when we're part of a story bigger than ourselves, where we're not the hero of the story. When you can lose yourself by loving one another and serving one another uh, and solving others' problems and being client-centric, like that, there's something compelling about that. So we attract what we call virtuous leaders. Everyone has a different leadership strategy or a, an adjective they use to describe their version of leadership. Here in Atlanta, Chick-fil-A is known for servant leadership right? It's my pleasure. And how can we go above and beyond and picking up trash? And it's wonderful. We love that. Our version of leadership is virtuous leadership. So we talk about aspirational and actionable leadership that transcends the professional and the personal. If you come to Booster, I hope you go home at the end of the day as a better husband or wife or father or mother or community member or roommate. And that what you learned through the team members encouraging you giving you the freedom to take risks, challenging you when needed, accountability, goal setting. I hope that aspirational aspect of your vocational life translates to your personal life. So we have six virtues. Not We had values for uh, 18 years of Booster. And over time, words lose meaning or change meaning. For us, our, our values were not as descriptive or as distinctive as we knew our organizational culture to be. So we took a long look over a couple of years and said, let's refresh our values. And then we stumbled upon the ancient word of virtue. And to us, the word virtue feels a little more timeless, a little more aspirational, a little more missional, a little more purposeful, agreed upon beliefs that people over centuries have said, this makes you a better human. So our six virtues that we chose for Booster are gratitude, wisdom, care, courage, grit, and celebration. And they're in that order for a reason. That's another podcast I could talk through all why we chose those. And uh, But if someone spends a moment in gratitude, they will professionally and personally be a better person, right? So we also think that clients notice gratitude and we have a grateful organization. It makes our organization grow. So uh, we focus on those six words as our cultural DNA and the aspirational and actionable part of it. And in displaying that, we think it allows us to retain our best team members. It attracts great team members and it creates a remarkable environment. That is yeah. awesome. 
Yeah, the only uh, briefly only thing I'd add, and, and you know, a lot of organizations they use the three C's: character, culture, or some use chemistry. Character, culture, and competency. And for the reasons Chris just said, we focus a lot on character and culture first. Mm-hmm. We're confident we can teach the competency right. to anyone that has the character, uh, the virtues that we just, you know, uh, Chris just shared. Uh, and anybody that can gel with our culture. And, and so, um, you know, often we take, we take a lot of risks on inexperienced young leaders who maybe have not proven themselves, uh, but we want to have an abundance mentality with our talent and give real legitimate opportunities and stretch assignments to inexperienced leaders if we, again, trust their character. And so that I feel like has created the flywheel has been moving in talent and Kyle, some of the things you remarked on. And, and if you if you come to one of our events, Dr. Randy, you'll see uh, just you'll talk in, in, in the hallways or uh, meet somebody. And the amount of tenured team members we have that have been with the organizations, you know, 10 plus years now, uh, it's because we keep having this mindset. Let's just keep giving our talent more and more um, mm-hmm. and uh, promote. We don't exclusively promote from within by any means, but I'd say 60 to 80 percent of a new leadership position that we post on our job board is filled by somebody within. Uh, and we feel like that helps us preserve culture while not being so heavy handed in the promote from within uh, mindset that we can't get outside talent in that can kind of help shake up our way, a way of thinking across the business. As you were talking, I was thinking about uh, my mentor years ago taught me, you can make a faithful man able, but you can't make an able man faithful. That's good. It's really good. You know, it's it's one of those things where <clears throat> character and uh, and culture are formed by the people that you bring in, and that's the right. who factor that that Kyle was talking about. Okay, I want to put you guys in a scenario here. I am a Catholic school elementary principal, and I've got a fundraising issue that I have to deal with. We're on an elevator. You know where I'm going now. Okay. So you have 15 floors to tell me about Booster and how I can actually utilize your, your ministry, your services, your, your options to make my school prosperous in the area of fundraising. What would you say to me? Well, I'd first hit every one of the buttons so I could go from a minute <laughs> to maybe three minutes and we would open, the door would open each time. Uh, I'd say I'd love to set up a meeting to talk to you at your convenience to learn about your fundraising history and your goals. I think one of the reasons we're successful is because clients feel like we want to not just give them what we offer, but to build something personalized for them. And every school, 4,000 schools this year we'll work with. And there are a lot of similarities, but mm-hmm. there, every school is very unique and different. And if we don't ask some of those questions as to what makes you unique and different. What did you do last time? Did you have a good experience or bad experience? You know, have you ever insourced it or outsourced it? Have you used any partners before? Tell me about your volunteer base. So I'd spend, uh, it's probably, it's like Abraham Lincoln saying, if I had an hour to cut down a tree, I'd spend uh, 50 minutes sharpening the ax. If I had a minute, I'd spend 50 seconds asking questions so I could best present uh, a product to work for them. But the, the basic value proposition is, if you'd like, we'd love to do as much of the work for you so you can focus on education. Uh, we'd love to raise as much money as possible. Three quarters of the funds raised by our program historically, an aggregate of all of our schools, come from non-parent donors. So our technology and our narrative and our communication is very focused on growing the donor base. 
to an extent that a school's not used to in the past. And that's really big for private school educators because as you know, right. tuition. And so a lot of times parents are saying, hey, I'm doing all I can to cover tuition. Now you're asking me to fundraise. Right. So it's mobilizing the parents into campaigners instead of donors saying, hey, we don't ask you to actually give, but we do ask you to connect to four or five families or grandparents or um, you know, uncles or you know, whatnot, aunts. So, and like Chris yep. said, uh, you know, Dr. Randy, I'd ask, I'd ask, what have you done historically for fundraising? And what's your goal? How much do you want to, to raise for your school? And in what time frame? And then like Chris said, uh, we, we train our salespeople to be interested versus interesting. And so instead of trying to sell yourself, be interested in who you're selling to and, and the rest typically takes care of itself. Yeah. So it's not a cookie cutter. It isn't that you're coming in and just putting a program on top of the school. No, exactly. no. Yeah. And that, you know, I will say that that has been a challenge for us. Uh, it was a challenge for us seven to eight years ago when we started getting outside of the Southeast. So we were founded, right. As Chris shared the Genesis of booster, we were, we were founded in the Southeast and a lot of our growth was organic, but when we started getting into Boston or Southern California, or Denver, Chicago, uh, you know, yeah. the Lots way we sold, built, consulted, all the details of our campaigns, we had to rethink, how do we do that? Because mm-hmm. schools are different in every, every community, and especially in every region of, yeah. of America. Right. So to date, Chris and Stephen, Booster has helped raise half a billion dollars for schools all over the country. You're working with 4,000, you mentioned right now across the US, incredible growth over the last 20 years. What's next over the next, let's say three to five years for, for Booster? What do you wanna focus on strategically as an organization? Well, you, you, you gave a few Jim Collins quotes earlier on uh, focusing on who over what. Um, he has another uh, great chapter in that incredible book, Good to Great, Preserve the Core and Stimulate Progress. We definitely want to spend some time preserving the core. The core for us is client centricity, culture, make sure, making sure as we grow, we still feel small in the, in, in the right ways and we're personable and we don't feel corporate. At the same time, there's 100,000 elementary schools in America. We're working with 4,000. So we think we can grow that over time to 50,000. We love to serve more and more schools that have needs that just we, we typically have in the past not been able to serve more um, underserved, underserved communities. Yeah. So we're working on some few strategies and partnerships with that. We're working on um, some middle and high school programs. There's some great organizations that serve high schools that we would partner with and, um, and develop our own programs over time. Uh, and being able to offer a school multiple fundraisers, we think the market supports a student-centric and then, and then like a parent-centric fundraiser throughout the year. So being able to come alongside schools and offer two fundraisers. We've already built a relationship. We know your school. So to be able to say, here's our, let's say it's a fun run in the fall and then another event in the spring or another activity. Um, but I think our push into uh, yeah, multiple products for the same school and then growing in middle and high schools is going to be a lot of the next three to five years for us. Last summer, Coming out of COVID, as you can imagine, our organization got, I'm sure, the same for, for uh, what you guys do. It's just a disruptive time with the pandemic. And so we were, you know, we were hit pretty hard. And so the organization, we felt like coming out of 2020 really needed to dream again because so much of 2020 was just about being reactionary to the needs of our clients, the needs of the business. 
And so uh, we set a five-year goal to do $1 billion in school profit uh, over the course of five years. So the $500 million that Chris just shared, that's over 20 years almost that we've profited schools, right. $500 million. We wanted to like reset the clock to zero, if you will, and say, okay, over the next five years, not just do another $500 million, but what if we did a billion? What if we did more than double in a quarter of the time frame? Sure. And so that's been really galvanizing to our team because it's forced us to look at ourselves, at the market, at uh, and that's what some of the ideas Chris just shared of middle school, high school, underserved communities. You know where are the needs the greatest. And so yeah, we're we're kind of in this dreaming phase again, which is exciting. We've put that big goal out there, and as you know, any any big goal that's tensioned correctly is going to force mm-hmm. you to just think differently, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's aspirational. But we just love what we're seeing in the team because it's causing everybody to say, oh, we just can't do the same things that we've always done. We got to think differently. What got us here won't get us there. And so it's a really exciting time for us. Uh, A lot of different paths we can take up the mountain to a billion for schools, but uh, we're kind of charting uh, a new path in in many ways. I can only imagine what the uh, pandemic did to you guys in terms (laughs) of your momentum. It must have just been a, a, a shock to your, your system there at, at Booster. Were there some things, though, that you were able to create during that time that have kind of had a long-term and maybe a permanent effect on your momentum moving forward? We chose to believe that crisis creates opportunity and that nothing happens by accident. And uh, we had almost daily uh, conference calls the organization uh, during that very long year of 2020. We had weekly calls that I begin with a prayer and a moment of silence. And I mean, it was a very, very challenging time. We went 173 days with zero revenue. So it was incredibly wow. disruptive to our entire organization. Events and schools were all canceled. And that's what we were doing at the time. But we said, you know, let's, let's trust the Lord to get us through this and let's be open and let's not waste this crisis and all we learn in our individual character, and then all that we learn in our innovation. So let's let's unpack the whole program, and then let's rebuild it back according to what the, the new normal looks like. We're still trying to figure that out, but uh, it gave us a burst of entrepreneurial innovation that just reminded us who is the customer, who matters the most, how can we serve them? So we pretty much deconstructed and rebuilt the value proposition again just questioning everything we had done in in the right way. We had a little bit of time to do it. How many days of motivation and communication do we need? We realized, you know what? We can take off one of those days, front load a little bit more communication. It'll be more efficient for schools. Created a whole lot more options uh, for events from from digital at-home runs, Boosterthon at home, to lots more investment in technology uh, where schools can figure out uh, what what's best for them? Anything to add to that, Stephen? Yeah, technology. I would say is the big yeah. the big takeaway. We were already right. moving in that direction, accelerating, uh, accelerating. I mean, yeah, you think about a, a, an organization. Our primary offerings were events, so large gatherings, <laughs> in person, fundraising, and, and you know, for the first six months of the pandemic, nobody knew what was going to happen with the economy. So being in the fundraising space. Right. Uh, wasn't yeah. wasn't a great space to be in during those 173 days. And then also schools and schools were, you know, the center of American narrative and the closures and how polarized. So we were in all three of those coming into the pandemic. And, uh, you know, I think we realized, gosh, we got to build a more resilient, flexible 
business and technology is at the center of that. So just accelerated our investment in tech and what it could do for our clients and, and for the organization. What drew you to partner with our organization and, and our collaborative of schools in DIA? Well, first and foremost, you. Oh, thanks, Chris. <laughs> Specifically, Kyle. We, we love serving your school. We were so impressed with you uh, as head of school and just the way you ran it. I mean, you, you had the educator heart, the pastor shepherd soul, and the CEO mind all wrapped into one. And I, I, we were just very impressed with you. I, um, so when you joined the organization, that allowed us to look at what the organization did and became interested in, you know, whenever you can partner with an organization that is like-minded and values, it just makes work that much more rewarding and fun. And we love what you do because not just your hands in your head, but your heart and your soul are in it. And that's why we're, we're doing what we do as well. We need to run a profitable business in order to stay in business and pay our team and, and grow. But there's a purpose bigger than just running a business in the same way that you use education as a spiritual tool to, to shape and to grow and to inspire souls. And what you do and more importantly, why you do it is the same why that we have serving and loving one another in our communities for, for the glory of God. And so we, we're, we're excited to partner. We're really, we're learning from you guys and anything we could do to, to serve even above and beyond uh, what we do from a fundraising perspective. We, we'd love to continue those conversations. Great. Yeah. Well, you honor, know, you honor to have you guys. It, it, it's been, it's been really cool just learning more about what you guys do, uh, honestly. And, and this Chris said, right. You know, we, we teach our students, we teach our kids, uh, you become the average of your five closest friends. And, and the same is true for an organization and who they partner with and who they run, you know, rub shoulders with. And so, um, you know, we're always looking at organizations that are, have values alignment uh, that are, you know, pushing things. I shared some of that uh, earlier, but about how innovative you guys are. And, and I think also going back to the pandemic, I think a lot of people are looking at education through the microscope right now and realizing how can, how can we do things differently? And I think private education is, is a big piece of that right now. So you could yep. see you know, private school enrollment has just boosted tremendously over the last two years. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I just think who knows where this is going to, we hope we, you know, we are aspirational about where this partnership partnership yep. can go over the next five years, but just being around uh, like-minded organizations is always proved valuable. Yep. Well, we're excited to have you out in sunny Southern California in October for our big, you know, summit event. And as I, you were talking, Stephen and Chris, maybe we could have an experiential, you know, mini fun run with uh, some of the Catholic school leaders uh, that, that we love it. I get yeah. a taste of what y'all are doing. So we could That's have some a great fun idea. with that. I'm all in for <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, the um, run may be a little slower than it is with the... <laughs> we'll shorten it. We will make it fun. It'll be yeah. awesome. Yeah, we could do it on the beach, uh, you know. <laughs> I'm done. I love it. You know, one of the things that I, I love that you bring to the table, because as you know, for those of us in Catholic education, fundraising and donor development is like, that's our lifeblood. We have to be there a lot. But it's it's so refreshing not to have a transaction involving candy, popcorn, and stuff. But you really the 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 experience is really what's a part of this, not only for the parents but for those who are supporting. And uh, that to me is a really exciting environment for our schools. Yes, 
people love experiences and they love to be part of something and they love events to whatever degree. And um, that's, that's exactly what we like to craft and create for schools. And the donor piece, you're exactly right. I mean, I said it a minute ago, but you, I feel like your organization and your schools see this for the value that it is, but an average school uh, will have about 1500 to 2000 donors of which 75% are new first time non-parent donors. Right. So that's a, a huge strategy yeah. for the developers to say, Hey, we raised 50, 75, $100,000. Wonderful. But the donors might lead to $3 million for future campaigns. If they're cold, you know, curated, nurtured, cared for the, exactly. the way in which you guys could do it. So let's face it. I think 20 years ago, 30 years ago, door-to-door product sales, there was some utility value in that because there wasn't Amazon, right? There wasn't <laughs> all these e-commerce channels. And I think now donors are like, I, I don't, I'm only buying this trinket or item because it's going to help the school and my nephew. So why am I buying it when I could just make a donation for yeah. them to participate in that experience? So right. I think it's just a new era of thanks to the disruption that's been caused by Amazon and the ease of, of product now. Yeah. Well, I know my parents ate way too much band candy back when I was in school. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, w- one of the things I, I was curious about, you've done a lot of work of obviously with educators and administrators out of the pandemic. What do you see now as the greatest need that our school teachers have today? I don't want to presume to answer an educator's question. And there's so many, I mean, and the, the, the first answer that comes to mind, and it's broad, is emotional health. And I'd even go broader and just say health, health. And I think it's at least, if viewed correctly, the pandemic has allowed people to say, what makes me a healthy person? My body, mind, soul, and spirit. Right. Physical, of course, but what about mental, emotional, and spiritual? And I hope the world can have a moment of reflection I don't know who can lead it. Maybe you guys can play a big part in this to say we need to take a Saturday in July and just do a, you know, a a self survey on our souls and say, where are we? And then, okay, there's always areas to grow in. How can we grow in health? But, you know, there's just been so many new rules and regulations, disruption, one of the things we love, I just, you know, an hour ago came from an outdoor fun run, seeing smiles on kids' faces participating athletically outside in fresh air, you know, it, there's something basic and amazing about that. So the, the big picture answer would be health, focusing on health, not necessarily in a all shucks way, but in a let's be proactive. What area of life can we choose to be healthier? And let's come alongside and encourage one another to that end. I'd add two things to that. So my wife is a school nurse. And on the, I think you mentioned that in my introduction, Dr. Rainey, but I'm on the school board at our kids' school. Um, and so I got to see this firsthand over working with our uh, administration. Uh, you know, I, I felt like educators were constantly choosing and school leaders were constantly choosing between the least <laughs> bad of really bad options. Mm, and it was right. like, you decide to bring your students on campus people hate you for it. You decide to leave them virtual, people hate you for it, right? And it, so I I just, my prayer and hope is just uh, some reprieve and and some rest. And, um, and I, you know, for the the people listening to this, just know that 
from our purview and what we got to witness and see, you guys were in a really, really tough spot, but you guys navigated it. Educators navigated the last two years uh, as best they could. And so I hope and prayer is that there'll be a time of rest and, and true unity amongst the school community, because that's been, that's been uh, fractured in a lot of situations. The second thing I'll just add is literacy. I know is, I mean, this spring will be our first true standardized testing, like baseline and benchmarks uh, that we've had since 2019. And, Mm -hmm. and I already, some of the early signs, as you guys have seen, I'm sure it's just not looking good. And when you get a a first grader, second grader behind on their reading benchmarks, it can just be devastating. And so that's a conversation a lot of educators are having right now, but I think it's going to be in the national spotlight very yeah. soon. And yeah. so we, we formed a partnership with a local nonprofit from a former NFL athlete who founded it, Malcolm Mitchell, and his whole focus of this nonprofit is around literacy uh, across America. And so we're, we're just seeing that as a huge opportunity and we want to, we really want to get behind him and mm-hmm. what his nonprofit is doing so that we can hopefully play a small role in a, in a really big issue that's facing America right now. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, Stephen, because I think as with a lot of things in, in our country, particularly, you know, the, the rich schools and the rich folks will get richer uh, and the poor will get poorer. And, you know, those schools and parents who have resources to close that gap more expeditiously, if there are, you know, learning gaps and holes have done or will do so. Um, but those without those means, be it schools um, or families, will be left further behind. And so my heart is warm to hear that, you know, Booster is looking strategically at finding ways to raise money for under-resourced schools going forward. Uh, just this morning, I received just awesome news, um, an under-resourced school where I did my student and service teaching back in the early 2000s in downtown Mobile, Alabama was going to shutter at the end of the school year after um, being founded in the early 1900s, historically black school. The diocese gave the school uh, autonomy to get a governing board together. That board in two or three months raised half a million dollars. They are going to stay open, which is just a huge blessing. That's fantastic. Um, And perhaps this is a school, most pure heart of Mary in downtown Mobile that you all could find a way to partner with because it has done just great things for that community. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of good things happening and I'm pleased to hear, you know, booster finding ways to, you know, partner with schools that, can close the gap and be a promoter of, of equity uh, in education. It's great. What a great story. Yeah. Wow. Very encouraging. I love that. And I hope we keep hearing more stories like that across the country. And, and Chris and Stephen, y'all are doing such a wonderful job of helping schools have hope that they can keep going, that they can keep the doors open. If there are some administrators watching today and they're kind of curious, how do I, how can I begin getting involved in bringing Booster to my school? What would you have them do? Two options. We're happy to leave in the show notes, um, my contact information. If anybody wants to reach out directly with me and I'd, I'd love to put that school in touch with one of our local team members, wherever, wherever they may be um, on the map. Also, our website, we have a team that's standing by on our website. They want to fill out a request more information form, just leave a couple notes about their school and uh, what they're looking to do. Then we have, we'll, we'll be sure to follow up as swiftly and promptly as, as, as possible with that. And we'll have, we have a team standing by that does that. So either or, I would probably recommend the form just to make sure it doesn't go to my spam folder. So website right. is a little bit more error proof. 
Well, Chris and Stephen, we are so delighted with this conversation today. This has been a great program for us. And, and so thanks so much for being with us today. Father Randy, Kyle, thank you so much. Anyone listening, be encouraged. You just ended with the word hope. We have, we have hope in uh, something eternal. And here on this earth, uh, anything we can do to partner with your schools to give them hope and remind them of the, the true hope that we have, we're, we're honored to do so. God bless you guys. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, thank you also. And uh, for our audience, we want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our podcast and then also to leave comments to help us with future programming ideas. We also want to thank our intern, Alex Shire, for assisting in the production of this podcast. May Almighty God bless you. We'd like to thank you for joining us on this episode of Follow to Lead, a production of the Duke and Altum Schools Collaborative. To learn more about finding your own path in your journey of faith, or for more information on what we discussed in today's episode, you are invited to follow us on social media and visit us on the web at diaschools.org. To provide a one-time donation or monthly pledge, please visit our website. Your gift will aid us in providing up-to-date information, additional resources, and other support on how to take Catholic education to a higher level. We look forward to helping you follow God's call to lead others to God right here on Follow to Lead.